Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast. A few guys giving their thoughts on Fulham neatly packaged into an MP3 audio download. My name is Sammy James, and tonight we'll be looking back at Saturday's draw as a late Ajayi goal cost the Whites two important points and leaves us three games without a win. We'll look back at that, debate bets versus Rodak, and tackle some of your questions as well. Joining me today are the man who sent me a very crude WhatsApp only 20 minutes ago, Farrell Monk. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> to think about that. Hola, amigo kind of caught me breathless it was it was it was very un, out of character i thought for you uh, and chief night out organizer ben jarman <laughs> thank you sammy hello everyone um halfway through this pod lads we have a big announcement to make uh, i will reveal all after the break between part one and part two very exciting news uh, for fulhamish before we get on to that though a uh, quick three word review from farrell monk please yeah um there was quite a lot of uh, bettinelli um Surprise, surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like it's a copy and paste job from the Button v. Uh, Bettinelli debate from a few years ago. But uh, let's crack on with it. We'll start off with Tony Montgomery's terribly sunburnt, um, if, um, which I'm sure there's plenty of people looking like Brits abroad uh, come the end of the game. We had Josh Whitcomb's 14 useless corners. Our very own Drew Heatley's bets is redacted with a very nice little uh, uh, square brackets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bingalings with Whoa Bad Betty and finally uh, TR7 with Bets Behaving Badly Oh two very good pod name contenders there yeah. at the end I remember seeing the Whoa Bad Betty and I thought that was that was genius yeah. who was that again? Uh, that was Bingalings well done Bingalings uh, do get involved in the three word reviews after every match uh, just to say that this season uh, we have an exclusive deal for Fulhamish listeners from Football Index you can try it out with £1,000 risk free for seven days if you lose any money simply contact their customer services and they will refund any losses to take advantage of the offer which I've used and is good my uh, Ryan Sessignon stocks are going well i've profited in the last uh, few days over the weekend uh yes take advantage of the offer go to fullamish.co.uk forward slash index download the app using the link on that page and then use the referral code fullamish once you've downloaded the app please note the offer is only valid for uk users and ireland users you must be over 18 and please gamble responsibly so let's crack on to west brom uh, and everything that went down on Saturday. Ben, uh, it was a very, very attacking lineup from Scott Parker. You could argue there was at least five attackers on the pitch. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I thought he basically attacked West Brom from the off ever since that. Ever since the lineup was announced, it was clear that we were going to take the ball and take the onus and try and have an early advantage over West Brom. I think you really saw that in the first half of the first half. Um, there was lots of intensity from us. There was some incredibly sharp play. There was some some great incisive and assertive passes from Fulham. And you saw, more importantly, lots of runs that created a lot of space for the, the trademark cutbacks that we see across the years. And that's where we got the majority of our opportunities from. And it's just nice to see us back playing very nice, slick football and it was almost from kick from kickoff that we really started to threaten West Brom. Yeah, it was early doors, Farrell. You could tell that Fulham were going to be in the ascendancy in that first half. Um, early chances. Uh, the best one fell to Tom Kearney. Bobby Reed also had a header well saved by Sam Johnston. 
Scott Parker must be tearing his hair out because he set us up brilliantly. We were opening up West Brom at ease and he must just be thinking, we need to put away these chances, lads, because what happened in the end of the game was kind of obvious to see given what happened in the first half. Yeah, um, and yeah, I've got to agree. I don't think Scott Parker could have done much more during, you know, the, the, the for the most part of that game to actually sort of force the result in favour of Fulham. Um, I think the slight tactical switch to, you know, basically have Tom Kearney and Bobby Reid going beyond Mitrovic and beyond their back line was really actually causing their problems. I don't think they would have expected Tom Kearney to, you know, try and break the offside trap. You know, the last time he did that, he scored in the playoff final. So I don't think Slavin Bilic was going to be expecting that. And I don't think the West Brom defenders were going to be expecting that. And, you know, that was, it caused quite a lot of problems for them. We, we were we were excellent at picking our moments when to attack. We were sort of pulling West Brom this way and that way, playing it around, you know, trying to play it slowly. And then bang, Mitrovic is, you know, taking a ball from Reem and Mawson. He's laying it off and it's creating a lot of space. And that's how that opportunity for Kearney came around. You know, I don't think he could have done much more, but, you know, he did test the keeper. Obviously, the the referee didn't see it that way and it was it was signalled for, for a goal kick instead of a corner. But, you know... As you go back to it, Scott Parker definitely would have had no hair left if he was actually tearing his hair out. We've got to take our chances a lot more. Otherwise, teams like, you know, as you've seen in the championship, up and down the leagues, teams don't punish each other and then end up, you know, on the end of an equaliser, which is what happened. I mean, that setup puts a lot of pressure on Harrison Reed to do pretty much all the dirty work, breaking up any threat of counter-attacks. And, and he was... Brilliant. Does does Arthur get back in the team after that performance? Because it, it was exceptional from Harrison Reed. Plus, with defence pl- splitting passes like that one he did for mm. Tom Kearney, it was a pass that Tom Kearney would have been proud of himself. Yeah, I think it's really difficult for Arthur now to come in and try and make, or try and get his place back and get that stamp on the team like he did before he got sent off. I think in terms of his decision to get sent off it was an incredibly rash one, but it's one that I think he might end up paying for because Reed has really stepped up recently and. I think he offers a lot of mobility in there um, where it cried out for that um, slightly before um, when Arta was in there. He's a little less mobile than Reed, in my opinion, but it's not necessarily true or false and it's obviously up to a listener to agree or disagree. But the the creativity that we get out of Reed from that low base is unrivaled, I think. Um, Arta's exceptional for breaking up and, and passing on to Kenny and I think that's kind of why Scott has given Kearney um, and Reed the license to go beyond Mitrovic because he knows that Reed can break up and create as well. And it's sort of, whilst you could say it adds pressure to him being in that position at that low base, it actually probably makes it easier for him because he's able to link play and have more space to do so. Farrah, I felt like the crowd seemed quite frustrated for, for long periods on Saturday and it didn't fully understand why we were playing it out the back and we ran it close a couple of times but pretty much every time we managed to beat their press I, I i was i just didn't didn't really understand it felt very nervy from the crowd and the the players weren't display it wasn't like arsenal yesterday who were trying to play out from the back and were terrible at it we were pretty much getting it right 95% of the time and maybe it was just the section i was sitting in but they definitely felt like audible unease from from large sections 
of of Craven Cottage. Yeah, I, I, I definitely call it audible, especially from where I was sitting. There was definite booing. And I'm looking back at my notes I made on, on Saturday. And as early as the 25th minute, I was already typing, amazing how many of the fans are booing and getting frustrated by our passing when we'd already created three or four really good chances before that. And it was working the system. So, you know, and I... I was getting, I was sitting there getting frustrated at the fans, and if it's being audible to me, then it's audible to the players out there on the pitch. Nick, it's hardly going to be able that the players are going to actually sort of um, associate with the fan base if they're getting on their backs at nil nil against a team who's who's unbeaten in the league and we're actually dominating them. I find it absolutely ridiculous and um, and incredible that that some fans out there feel the need to actually do that. And I couldn't put it strongly enough that that's not the fan base I would like to be associated with. I think it comes from all the activity we've had in the window where they're expecting a squad like this to be at the top of the championship unbeaten and winning every single game comfortably but football just isn't that way. There's a lot of tactical um, masterminds in this league I think you'd say there's a lot of very accomplished coaches from Bilic um, all the way down to like Lee Johnson and and stuff like that. I think it's a lot tougher league and you don't walk this league regardless of what squad you've got and I think, unfortunately, in a way, that almost perfect performance against Millwall has given the players a rod for their own back that they perhaps can't live up to every single time. And that's fair enough. They're only human and football's a game with such huge variables. You can't ever expect to be as unsung as we were that day. Do you think something's come about from the change in the goal kick law? Because I think it's quite alien to us seeing a goalkeeper be able to pass it to a defender in the box and it looks there are moments where you think oh but they always do not always but 95% of the time do manage to get out of the situation mm. actually break the press and, and and it leads to to good opportunities well this hap- this happened quite a lot I like I can think definitely two or three times in the especially in the first half where you would think oh we're in, we're in trouble here and it was going back to bets and to be honest, he handled it so well. And, you know, two of those two or three opportunities led to attacking moments for Fulham. And, you know, we we must be actually quite lucky to have a goalkeeper who has been, you know, lambasted some, in sometimes about how his distribution is. But he handled it so well on, on Saturday. And we're very, very lucky to have two players in front of him and Mawson and Ream who can also play through the press really, really well as well and be able to find players out in the wide like Stephen Sessignon, who is really, really growing in um, in stature as he goes along, and Joe Bryan, who was an excellent footballer. I thought he was excellent again on, on Saturday as well. I think there's two factors to it. Firstly is that like a lot of British fans aren't necessarily used to seeing their teams do this um, and every time you get a goalkeeper you have of the mentality that perhaps is going to go wrong. Um, the only message I'd say is that these guys are professional footballers and goalkeepers will train with their feet almost as much as first team players or the outfield players will now as well in modern football and it's particularly interesting for me to see actually the change tactically on these new goal kicks because I think we what most people need need to realize is that actually having this goal kicks actually stretches out the space in the middle of the pitch much more than you would expect to it to and actually the beneficial part of this is that you can play through the lines a lot easier than you were if you were lumping the ball up up front and hoping that you get a, a very small percentage that your striker would flick it on to someone else or if you try and pass out into the, the corner with, by the fullback or it goes over their head or they miscontrol it and they're 25 yards out from goal when they're already through like one thing you, that 
people need to realise is that centre-halves are really accomplished at playing the ball and especially the likes of Tim Ream on our team. You see many, many times a game how often he breaks the lines and creates attacks with his incisive passing. And I've got so many notes from this weekend on how good Ream's passing was. He, he was and, exceptional and how, every time. Yeah. Yeah. And th- that's just my point. Like, Yes, the goal kick thing may seem alien. And yeah, it's fine to worry about your goalie having the ball at his feet because it's not a recognised position to do so. But it creates a lot of space and it offers a lot of opportunity for teams to pre- to play through that elongated press. Yeah, the, it was quite interesting from a West, Pro- West Brom point of view was their tactical decision to not try that at all within the first hour. And then, then they immediately decided to change later on in the game to actually play it out from the back which is quite interesting considering they you know they were behind and needs to get it forward as quickly as possible but they obviously thought to themselves that Fulham were going to tire and not be able to to uh, press as hard as they did and it kind of worked it did work out for them in the end yeah that's the thing as soon as they changed that tactic and then they changed a couple of the personnel game swung in their favour completely mm-hmm. you look you look at Scott um, Parker's comments after the match both on Fulham's website and on BBC as well he says as soon as the opposition make the game like a basketball game it's when Fulham can't keep up and mm-hmm. that's exactly what West Brom did and it, it sort of told in the end yeah that that there was a bit of a genius idea from um, from Bilic to to swap Hal Robson Carno in there for Pereira because Pereira wasn't picking up Reed at all and Robson Carno was doing all that doggy work and actually sort of playing like quite a nice high block to stop sort of stop our um, passing game as well. So that I, I, I love was... I love the transition of Hal Robson Carno. He's like yeah. Craig David, just always fitting in with the times. <laughs> yeah. just, st- I was like, what? How Robson Carney, the last time I saw you, he was banging in goals for Wales in the Euros, and now yeah. suddenly he's doing a job on our, uh, on our number six. I mean, the only thing I thought with Scott, and I saw someone on Twitter today saying, why are people giving Scott grief? We played really well in the match. For, for two-thirds of the game, we completely controlled it. But that was my point. For two-thirds of the game, we did control it. And before their goal maybe five, ten minutes before, you could really see that West Brom's subs were paying dividends. And not just because I think of the tactical switch that Billich made, but also our pl- we, were, we were just flagging a bit. We needed some fresh legs. And I just thought that Scott was a bit slow to make that first change. And okay, given how the goal came about, could have we avoided that? I don't know. It doesn't. It it's, comes from an individual error and not change in the dynamic really of the team but it just seemed to me that Scott was caught a little bit on his heels there and maybe a change five ten minutes earlier could have just helped Fulham see out the game maybe even get a second yeah if I had one grievance with Scott this year it is that he hasn't been as assertive with his tactical changes or his substitutions as much as he needs to be it became pretty clear after that change in tactics what West Brom were trying to do they were trying to stretch Fulham they were trying to get in behind they were trying to make the game seem bigger and Scott sort of didn't do anything for a very long time, as you alluded to. And he's done this in a few games this season where it's been blatantly obvious to to the supporters that a change needs to be made and it hasn't happened. Like Other than that, I can't actually think about anything else that Scott's done sort of incorrectly or where you'd have a bug or a bugbear. But I think the fans do have a point. If you're on top for 60 minutes, 70 minutes, even if it's 85 minutes, you'd expect to see the Fulham to see the game out and the manager to recognise when there are things that need to be changed. Well, for instance, Dennis Adoy was stripping off before the corner. 
where West Brom scored and he was obviously going to come on for Steven Sessegnon who was just struggling a little bit he'd made a poor tired pass into the middle that really could have led to a West Brom goal had they been a bit more clinical similar to how Forrest um, scored against us and it just seemed like a sub that just be a bit quicker man just 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 be a bit more incisive and 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 just do it and I, I don't know maybe that is the element of having a new manager is just he's not sure he doesn't want to and 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 i think maybe that's something he's got to grow into well i the one that kind of strikes uh, that kind of reminds me of is when hodgson was manager he was very reluctant to make a lot of substitutions especially yeah, when you're on especially when you're on top and you're actually in the game um and that obviously worked for him but you know i think back then we probably we were on top on a lot of games and it didn't really need substitutions where, you know, just for making it sake. I think on Saturday, I think Scott Parker could have made a sub earlier, especially when the tide was going in West Brom's favour from about the 65th, 70th minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think probably his one saving grace was like not everyone out there was having a, there was no one particularly having a bad game and it would have been a bit of harsh on, you know, Bobby Reed obviously came off, but he was having a particularly good game. But, you know, in that situation, you've got to think to yourself, I'd need to make a change here at the moment. The tidiest change changing into West Brom's favour there. And, you know, we had a very strong bench on Saturday, which was actually quite pleasing to see. Hmm. Um, let's come on to the goal. Knockout said it's a cross. I'm a bit baffled. I really thought he meant it. It looked it very it looked from, from where I was in Hammy End. It looked like he meant it because he kind of swung his boot at it more strongly than he would have if he was just trying to do a cross also it's quite a strange place to try and cross the ball from but I mean you've got to take him at face value he wouldn't admit to it if it it wasn't true but um, yeah I mean good to finally see Fulham break down because actually apart from those chances in the first half we didn't create tons and tons of chances well yeah I at the time admittedly I thought it was a cross because he was sort of like running away from goal and it would have been a bit of a silly place to kind of had a, have a shot from. Um, but I think the whole sort of build-up play from it, it comes from another Harrison Reed thunder tackle in the, in the midfield. Um, and, you know, we got forward very, very quickly. It was almost kind of like a counter-attacking move. Um, and fair play that Knockhart was immediately, as soon as he released the ball to Cavalero, he wanted it back because he knew there was an opportunity there. Um, and, you know, opportunity knocks in 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 a weird way, but you know it's like. Do you mean that? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> of course, you did. You should have seen his um, reaction video that he did on um, Twitter on Saturday. He filled it with about three or four Anchorman references. Yeah, kind of I a did big, kind of a big deal. He'll be impressed with our Anchorman Harrison Reed. It was littered with them. Loved it. So why are you, uh, you know, looking at me as if I didn't pop that one in on purpose then? Well, no, I I just wondered. It, it was a very it was very on the spot, so I was impressed. I oh, okay. I, I, I don't doubt your punability. Um, <laughs> it was a bit of a despairing dive from Sam Johnston. It was like if you actually rewatch if you actually watch it, it's like he almost dives in completely the wrong way. Like as the ball is hitting the back of the net, it's a bit a bit of a funny one actually. Well, I was thinking about Sam Johnston. He he must be a bit sick of the sight of Fulham. Yeah. So obviously he conceded the winner in the playoff final the magic goal from Aita yeah yeah, and the last time he was at Craven Cottage he got lobbed from 45 yards and he very nearly led to Fulham's 
second yeah. and had it not been for a miscontrol it just kind of came off Tom Kenny's yeah. heel at the wrong time Fulham were in and I'm, yeah. I'm almost certain it was like 4v2 back up, up there as well it just came off the from wrong time from a player time. who's the, the most got the best technical ability out of any player on that pitch and is the that one time it miscontrols and sort of fumbles under his foot I mean it's a fairly decent save for him in the end I think Bobby Reed probably should have done slightly better oh, he just was a bit straight he just, yeah. needed, he just needed to um, get it away from Sam Johnston I mean I wasn't the only one that thought it was a goal by the way the uh, the co-commentator on, on Sky Sports <laughs> I think it was Sandy Hinch Cliff. Andy Hinchcliffe, yeah. yeah. He was adamant it was a goal. <laughs> yeah. There's absolutely no way he didn't mean this. He saw him off his line. And then in the post match, no, 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 it was definitely a cross, mate. To be fair, like you make a valid point. Why why on earth would you try and whip it into the box like that? And also, yeah, he's put way too much power on it. I sort of think he has maybe gone for it. But then quite weird to come out and not Maybe he's it. just trying to get in Sam Johnson's head red free. Oh, yeah, potentially. <laughs> and I love it if that is the actual reason. Um, let's come on to West Brom's goal then um, from a J. It was a good corner in, to be fair. It was right on Bettinelli's head and it was one of those that's awkward to deal with. Is Bettinelli fouled? Because if you look at the very slow replay, the one that's kind of the goal line cam, Charlie Austin's arm is very much across Bettinelli almost kind of punches him in the shoulder but my thinking is it's still not enough of a foul to do what he did yes you've been fouled yes it should have been called but even with that pressure that should be going over the bar I'm of the opinion that actually probably something more should have been done to stop Austin getting such access to Bettinelli because you well, yeah, that's it, supposed to be someone's job. You normally it? see it a little bit more on a, on a Sunday league or a Saturday league. You put at least one defender in front of the goalkeeper and yeah. there wasn't anyone nearby him from memory. But my main grievance is with Bettinelli himself. If you're a goalkeeper, you are at liberty in your position to take the ball and take the man and you can get away with it. And because if he's touched you, it's basically like you're a judge to have been fouled regardless. But if you have a tiny, small touch on your shoulder and you half appeal, half bat the ball away, the only thing you're doing is just hampering yourself. If you're a keeper and you've got the ball on your head, you need to be more assertive in that position. You need to take the ball, and I don't care if you take Charlie Austin, I don't care if you take one of the defenders. You need to get your hands on the ball regardless, and that's what's irked me so much with this. It's a, it's perhaps a, a lack of experience in a weird way of... But it's not though, because this isn't the first time Betts has yeah. had minimal contact in the box and then just sort of half appealed, half tried to save. He yeah. A couple of times from memory last year, and he did it quite a lot in a championship year we got promoted. You almost, yeah. need to do, you almost need to do one or the other. If Charlie... Austin has fouled you that much. Go over. Yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, don't try and hit, or, get the ball. Or just take him. Like, take him out. C- grab the ball and just take him with yeah. it. Like, that's fine. And this half-hearted kind of flap it, it really mm. doesn't do it justice. And, you know, you've got to look slightly at the at the defenders as well because both the West Brom centre-backs were both bearing down on that ball. And none yeah, of Wilson's us... Wilson's nowhere to be seen. Yeah. Um, you know, they kind of do lose concentration because they think the ball is heading towards Bettinelli and they just they just stand there waiting for him to punch it out or do something with it and mm. you know it neither happens basically so where does this leave us now because there was already pressure on bets um that's fair to say and the calls for rodak to come in have intensified almost to boiling point 
really. Where do we stand on this? Um, there was mixed opinion when I hosted the full time on Saturday where Joe was saying, I think it's time. Uh, and Guy was saying, does this cause a precedent? It's changing your goalkeeper is not like changing your sense of defensive mid. It's it's a call that you've got to stick with mm. and you've got to get it right. And is it something that we should be quite so reactive over? So, so where do you two stand on it? Well, you know, fortunately enough, we've actually seen Rodak in in recent memory, and he was excellent that game. And it appears to be that his main attribute is his shot stopping, which is, I would say, Bettinelli's main attribute as well. So there's no risk there in kind of swapping um, Rodak for Bettinelli in that case, you know. But it's obviously different in in the league as as opposed to the Carling Cup. Um, sorry, the Carabao Cup update uh, for 2019. Get your drinks right. <laughs> yeah. um, Milk cup. So, <laughs> yeah. so in that regard, I would say it's probably fine to take the risk. We're not going to lose any of the shop-stopping ability. It's where probably perhaps his distribution might be, his passing ability, because Bettinelli was very impressive on Saturday and they've always been working quite heavily on the training ground because we're now at the stage in 2019, 2019 Fulham, that, you know your goalkeeper needs to be excellent at the feet and being able to pass out of the press and break lines. And we've not really seen Rodak do that because when he was at Rotherham, they didn't play that way. No, exactly. So there's there for me is the biggest risk. And at the moment, I would flip a coin over it. I really have to sit on the fence about it. I don't know. From my point of view, it is, it is literally like such a tight call. I, do, I wouldn't know either way. However... I would hazard a guess to say that actually the pressure that we feel as fans probably isn't replicated in Fulham just yet mm. because otherwise we would have seen a change by now judging by <laughs> how often we change yeah. our keepers yeah. but I just like I would actually like everyone to try and get behind Betts a little bit um, maybe a sentimental reason that he's is a Fulham boy and always has been but like it would be nice to give a keeper a good run in the team and see what he can really do. I think, as you say, Farrell, Betts is an excellent shot stopper. His distribution has got markedly better over the past couple of months. And it's just this one occasion or a couple of occasions where he f- tends to flap in high-pressure situations that you'd hope he eradicates. Yeah, it would be kind of like a confidence boost to him if if Parker does stick with him because we know he's an excellent keeper. And like, I think he, he was I, pretty I think much he will. An, yeah, it was pretty much never present that second half of the season that we got that Fulham eventually got promoted. So it's he's kind of been there, done that, and I would like to be a club that kind of looks after its players in a way, and the players that are going to stay here for ten ten years or more that would be a nice place to be in. If we were losing consistently. And like quite heavily, and a lot of these goals were down to bets. Then obviously, calling for his head would be the right thing to do. But we're not. It's just as simple as that. And I think, but he is quite. But I mean, it is. You could argue four is, points yeah, in two games. Yeah, yeah, for, uh, yeah. Fair enough. But then you've got to look at you know what's happened in the game as a whole. Let's look at the game as a whole. The Fulham players haven't gone and scored the two or three goals we probably should have. And yeah. you know, and then if that goal happens, then we probably wouldn't be looking at. Uh, Bettinelli or Rodak afterwards I think my thing for Bettinelli I think the shot stopping not bad crosses and stuff like that I have a bit of a question mark and we and we saw it clearly on Saturday when it comes to distribution I wish I sometimes wish he was a tad quicker yeah I sometimes feel that there's opportunities for him and he doesn't see it 
quickly enough and kind of by the moment that he's kind of got round to spotting the pass there's a player who's kind of spotted the the gap as well yeah. i just sometimes wish he was a tad more instinctive but yeah. i guess you defense, don't you don't want that to go too yeah in his defense if he was he's not a midfielder no or a defender so he wouldn't see them as quickly potentially and when you're a goalkeeper you've got a lot of options to assess Mm. with the ball so I think that that could be a reason why but I do get you he is at times very slow um, with that distribution I think he needs to rely a little bit more on Ream to get the best out of the ball Mm. yeah I think in a sense if 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 we're so on the fence with Betts slash Rodak I don't generally I think actually the the opinion of the fan base is is gone beyond the 50-50 point at the moment but that was quite reactionary and there were lots of tweets to Fulhamish on the weekend but again everyone was kind of in the heat of the moment if it is 50-50 then I think you have to stay with the better the devil you know and only at the point where it does actually really go beyond that tipping point of opinion and obviously our opinion doesn't actually mean anything but let's say it's replicated in amongst the Fulham staff then you have to make a call but it's a big call to make and you can't just do it on a whim it, it can be quite difficult to change goalkeepers though yeah. yeah although a goalkeeper seems like a bit of an expendable position you do get keepers that play a lot of different ways you get keepers that command their area a lot more and you get people you get keepers that are a lot more vocal my wish for Bettinelli is that he was much more uh, commanding of his box and much more assertive with his action because he lets the game come to him too often you definitely me. hear him quite a lot when the ball when he's like telling his uh, defenders to get out you hear him quite a lot when it's like a corner of, we've cleared it you can hear him the whole time go, shouting out and out and out but you don't really tend to hear him you know when the, when it is when it is a corner yeah. one other thing I wanted to, to bring up which probably has been missed by quite a lot in terms of like the highlights and talking points um in about the 64th minute, Knockhart goes down for what appeared like a penalty. And I did I did look at it again because it wasn't picked up by the highlights. So I looked at it just before coming here on the on the 90 minutes. And I watched the replays and for me, it is a definite penalty. Yeah, I remember thinking it at the time and I, I, I'm glad you brought this up because I forgot to bring it up. It's a stonewall. From where I'm sitting, it's just one of those. I don't think Bobby Reed flails his arms enough. I don't think he makes enough of a meal of it which is just so annoying. It's one of my things about referees is like, give a penalty even when they don't make a big deal of it. You should be encouraging that, not punishing players. Well, Kenny almost stops. He sort of stops on the ball and raises his hand as like, right, okay, we're going to get a penalty here. Um, it is kind of marginal when you see it at, at um, full pace, but when the replay show, it is actually is quite clear that, you know... Um, the and the referee's in a good spot. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit annoying for, in that regard because... It was literally kind, almost kind of like the turning point because just before then, West Brom started to really ramp it up and it could have been 2-0 and game over. Interestingly, the only replay I've seen of it since is on Junior the Builder's Instagram. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He filmed the uh, the moment where it happened and it just I was scrolling down my Instagram feed and I saw it early and I love his Instagram page and I hadn't quite clocked it until today. That, I mean, he's got like 1,300 followers. He's built. He's built. Building a media empire off the back of um, waving wa- wa- a flag. Waving the flag, and uh, you know, it was. He was a little caption. Guys, what do you think? Is this a penalty or not? I was just like, I love it. He's he's our co- he's our competition. He's, he's going to start a podcast yeah. soon. Should we um, vote one away game? We'll go dressed as Junior, the builder. We all get like orange boiler suits. 
I'm up for it. Halloween. Yeah, I'm up for it. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, so one final thing before we move on to a stack of questions. Um, I just want to... Are we dropping too many points? Is there cause for concern yet? It's three games without a win. Uh, we dropped out of the top six for, for all that that really matters at the moment. But, you know, we're now five points behind the top two. It's starting to become a gap that is a little bit worrying there's not that many times you can afford to drop points in a season if you are to be chasing automatic promotion uh where is there cause for concern yet um for me no um just because i think we've got enough quality to get through the so-called tougher patches and going winless for three games isn't that isn't too bad at this early stage in the season five points is easily enough to make up and other teams will have running forms that are absolutely diabolical and I think that we can we could make that up quite easily um, if we were 10-15 points adrift then I'd be concerned but mm. you look at where we were two seasons ago in November mm. when we were hovering in like 17th or, yeah. or around mm. that spot and we still managed it so I'm not concerned yet yeah Roberto Firmino as well um, yeah sorry I realised I said that <laughs> Firmino yeah um, no, I agree. I mean, we're about to go on like a 25 unbeaten run now. Um, yeah, it's it's spot on. You know, it's still too early to tell. We are playing well. And I think for me, the most important thing at the moment is that our performances are good. Yes, obviously, the, the points um, haven't been as good as perhaps the performances shown. But as long as the performance is there and the confidence doesn't sap from losing points and we don't decide to change our style, you know, in a reaction, reactionary, ridiculous way, I, I can only see that will be there or thereabouts at the end of the season. For me, if you actually look at the next games, I think there's a real opportunity now to make the assault on the table. I actually think that if I looked at the next eight games, I think Hillsborough on Saturday is the hardest of the lot by mm. quite a distance. Yep. You've then got Wigan at home and, you know, no disrespect to Wigan, but away form for them has been a problem for a while now um you then have reading away who are improved this season no doubt but still winnable charlton good start but again just come up from league one yep. i would like to think winnable then you're into the international break then you've got stoke which at the beginning of the season you would have thought wouldn't be one of our hardest games but mm. i mean you wonder if he, he'll have lost his job um, Nathan Jones by then it's going that badly yep. um, up at the bet 365 so not 100% sure but on current form very winnable game and then I think you've got Birmingham and Hull and Luton um, it, it's all it's it's eight games that you could conceivably go on a run yeah yeah of course I was I was really actually quite enthused by how we've dealt with some of the situations in these last three games because we've had three very tough opponents in yeah. West Brom Cardiff and a Forest team who have put a lot of money into that squad yeah. over the summer. But yeah, you're completely right. Eight games that are definitely winnable, all eight of them, whether we will or not, is is another matter. But there will be some tricky times in there. Luton are, are very capable of scoring a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and Charlton have, have had a fairly good start to the season. And they've got a powerful striker, Lyle Taylor, who should be at someone a little bit bigger than Charlton. And I wouldn't expect it would, wouldn't be... Um, shocked if he did move in January great well we've got some questions to answer and our big announcement so stick around Cavalero, Cavalera. came to us on loan to bring us straight back up Cavalero, Cavalera. 
came to us on loan to bring us straight back up. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Ben Jarman. Hello. And Farrell Monk. Hello, everyone. So, are we ready for the big announcements? Yes. Okay, let's do it. So, on Saturday, the 5th of October, after the Charlton game, Fulhamish will be recording its 200th podcast, which is kind of a big deal, to use the Will Ferrell oh. reference. <laughs> um, and to celebrate the occasion, we're going to do a live podcast. We've never done one of these before. Um Lots of podcasts do it these days. I don't know why we haven't done it, but just haven't quite got round to it. So we're going to record our 200th podcast straight after the Charlton game, live from the old Suffolk Punch. And we'd like to invite you, our listeners, to be there after the game. Uh, it's going to be uh, a fun event. So we're going to have um, a panel of four of us, hosted by me, uh, doing the first half of the podcast and then Jack's going to host a different panel uh, for the second part of the podcast. It's going to be live in front of an audience. Um, you can get drinks and all of that. Gentleman Jim's going to be joining us for the first part with me. He's going to be a special guest and we've got another special Fulham guest for part two. Uh, still TBC. Uh, contract talks are <laughs> underway. Um, but it's going to be a really exciting event. We've booked uh, a musician as well, uh, Tony, the guitarist. Oh, I thought it would be you after your performance no, at your wedding. No, it's not me. It's not me. Uh, Red Cross, I'm afraid, are unavailable for uh, Saturday the 5th of October. Um, and he's actually really good. He's a guitarist. He um, basically does kind of karaoke. So just we're going to give him a load of Fulham songs to uh, to bash out on the guitar. And it should be a really nice event. So we're not going to advertise this on social media. We want the podcast listeners to be there first and foremost. So tickets are going to go on sale Wednesday morning at nine o'clock. There's very, very limited tickets. The Old Suffolk Punch isn't the biggest venue. Um, The Apollo said no, sadly. Um, So we've gone for the Old Suffolk Punch. Um, So tickets are limited. Hence why we're not going to advertise on social media because we want to put our podcast listeners first because we're celebrating the 200th episode. So go to fullamish.co.uk, nine o'clock UK time on Wednesday morning and get your tickets. They're £3.75, which basically just covers our cost. So it's pretty cheap. Come along, have a drink, meet the Fulhamish gang. We're going to record a live podcast and then have a bit of a sing-along afterwards. So it should be good. Um, I'm afraid to say neither of you have made the cut. Oh, oh, great. So, um, so Ben, do you want to... Should we go have our own party? I've um, heard of another podcast you might want to join. It's called Fulhamesque. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, me, Jack, you. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be awkward for his second half of, of what's this Fulhamish yeah, thing that he's not, doing. Jack's just going to no-show and then uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll yeah. be it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we'll, we'll be in the Duke of Cornwall up the road. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to advertise it all over social media. Yeah. Tickets are £3.74. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get things confused. Farrell and Ben will be there. £3.75, fullamish.co.uk on Wednesday morning. Hope you can be there. Right. Uh, quickly before we go on to the questions, uh, one thing that Farrell, I wanted to get your thoughts on specifically as our ticket man uh, was the Fulham ticket exchange, which got announced last week. Uh, basically, season ticket holders can exchange their unwanted match tickets from their season tickets uh they get 15 pounds back and then the club can sell them on i think it's only if a game is sold out um your thoughts on this much needed it should have maybe come in a season or two ago it's it's here now it's mainly a good thing as far as i see Mm. it i I, i've got to say that 
first and foremost that this is a this is a very positive step forward from the club um and you know something has been talked about for a while something that the Fulham Supporters Trust have have you know requested of the club for quite some time maybe about a year now um as attendances have have increased and and as um uh, some fans aren't be able to come to games because of selling out and not being able to have access to tickets but yeah it is a very positive move um you know there is it probably eliminates that opportunity for sort of the black market of Fulham tickets obviously there's a whole world out there of people scrambling to come and see the whites play but you know there's for especially me and in my family we maybe each one of us maybe can't be able to attend maybe one two three four games a season especially now that there's quite a lot and and now we've got reduced capacity which means that getting tickets might be a bit more difficult especially for for some of the larger games maybe towards the end of the season um obviously the 15 pounds maybe it's a bit low but you know after i've come to think about it is it's 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 an all right amount and you know that's where i kind of disagree is that's my only bugbear of it is i feel like as a season ticket holder who puts this money in especially i mean my season ticket works out about 22 pounds a game so actually maybe 15 isn't terrible but then when the club is selling it for full price again Mm. so let's say it's the west brom game on saturday they're selling my seat again for 35 pounds making 20 pounds on my ticket yeah that was my only bugbear and but my point was i'm in the hammersmith end what if your middle block of Johnny Haynes, like towards where you sit, fifteen pounds a game is way less than you actually pay. Yeah, and especially some of the larger games, they're selling out. They're selling my ticket for forty pounds as well, so they are making a little bit of skimming on top. I, I would sort of but say that's the thing. It's not. It's not just skimming on yeah, top, yeah, yeah. is it? That's more than fifty percent of yeah. the value of the ticket going it, it's, to them. It is true. Um, the the thing is, though, is it's still better than nothing for me. Like it's still sort of kind of putting money in the pocket in a you know large inverted commas in regards to keeping season ticket holders there so like my big worry as a season ticket holder in a seat i've had for about 15 years um is that it is getting a little bit pricey and if they decide to raise the price again next year i'd have to either think about you know cancelling my season ticket or moving elsewhere which i really really don't want to do Mm -hmm. and this is a way you know because i definitely know i'm going to be away quite a lot this year so i know that i'm i'm going to have to want to sort of move my ticket on and if you know i save 60 pounds on on my season ticket next year that's the that is the difference in between moving seats and keeping my seats and i think that's probably for a lot of people so i guess yeah i guess in that sense you can make a choice can't you you can sell it yourself and make a bit more money but you know you need to find the person on twitter and yeah. send your season ticket exactly. in the post and i guess this is a way of the fuss being removed but you pay a bit of a price and also that. um kind of removes that temptation to try and sell your ticket onto someone who isn't a Fulham fan and as much as the club you know as much as we say or the club says that we want the the stadium full as as full with Fulham fans as possible this is probably the best way of doing it because it goes back onto the portal you have to be a season ticket holder or a member or have some sort of booking history to be able to buy a ticket through the club itself so in a way this does hopefully keep you know tickets in the in the hands of Fulham fans and not I mean I'm sure Liverpool fans are still trying to get tickets for our game obviously um 
And just your thoughts on the ticket prices so far, because I think we discussed it early in the season when they were at £30 for the initial games. It went up to 35 for the West Brom game on Saturday, and it was far from full. Jo- block A of the Johnny Haynes, the, the family kind of area, was, I'd almost say, nearly 50% empty. Um, and, and certainly there were quite a lot of seats around me. Again, I just think that it was just rearing its ugly head again when I saw those mm. prices of, of what we saw last season whilst not quite at the extreme. As much as we'd like to see the stadium as full as possible, I think what probably the club looking at is that kind of like, you know, the, the you know, econ- economics 101, that kind of price elasticity of demand. You know, what's the what's the point at which, you know, people genuinely stop stop coming along and they're trying to sort of maximise the amount of money they're making and I think they are just about getting it right like they are literally on the on the cusp um I do think 35 pounds for West Brom at home is you know perhaps stretching it a little bit um you know for the cheapest ticket but there are at least I think at least they are some of the you know what are bound to be the less well attended games the Luton at home they are looking at much cheaper prices. I, th- I can't remember if it's 20 or 25 pounds. I think it's 25. I think it's 25, which is actually quite nice um, in a way. But it is a very stark contrast to what it was, you know, even just three years ago when games like that would have been a tenner, basically. But then you're looking at the fact that we are operating at vastly reduced capacity at the moment. You are looking at 20, uh, 25% yeah. less seats out there available. At least you're now getting that kind of disparity in between the most expensive and, and the cheapest, at least. So if there are cheaper seats available. There are cheap, quite cheap um, uh, children's seats. We are still operating with, you know, junior ticket season tickets at a lot, you know, vastly reduced price, which is nice to see. But I do... F- we are we are at basically the top level here. I think any you know five pounds even more than that, then you know there'll be another riot. There we go. Uh, so let's go on to some questions. Um, quick one. We discussed this briefly earlier in the podcast. Uh, Alex says, should Arta start against Wednesday? Benjamin. Uh. <laughs> Quick one, is it? <laughs> I really don't know. Um, no. I think Reed's in a good rhythm. Um, offers a lot more creative-wise, and it brings out the best in Kearney. However, I feel like if we do have Reed, it'd be nice to have someone alongside him to do a little bit more of the dirty work. Maybe like Johansson. Mm. Well, he mainly kind of played that double pivot of Reed and Arta against Cardiff. It didn't last. Yeah all that long I did wonder if maybe we might might start seeing different tactics away from home and at home yeah potentially I think Parker's done really well to blood that 4-2-3-1 in some quite um, testing situations for us especially during the end of games and you, you start to see it reaping the benefits now um, when you look at some our last three managers or the last two managers sorry you've got Ranieri who was wedded to strange iteration of five that he played and then he had Jukanovic you could only play 4-3-3 it's nice to see a manager be able to implement more than one system and get the best out of it so I'm all for it I think a double pivot would be lovely um, especially if you can get Kane in and around Mitrovic a bit more because Mitrovic at times is a bit isolated and there could be a question regarding that later on I believe I I would say that Harrison Reed did more than enough to justify keeping his place in the starting eleven ahead of Arta. No disrespect to Harry, Harry Arta, I think he's 
performed very very well since since coming in um i think that reed's performance on saturday was better than arta's best performance this season so i would be inclined to keep him in there cool so what would be your midfield would you if if it was the playoff final tomorrow or something like that what would be your midfield would you stick with what we saw on saturday with with bobby reed in there i know it slightly depends on the opponents but hypothetically i would say yes i would keep it as is i, I was very very impressed with how they operated um i think it did work well for a large portion of the game um i think that Kearney and I mean Kearney surprisingly was seemed to be a lot more industrious and was kind of buoyed by it. and I think in this system it does kind of work really really well that you know especially Bobby Decadova Reed was able to sort of break break that line and so was Kearney and I think it really tested their back line it kind of made their double pivot of um, Romain Sawyers and Jake Livermore kind of redundant for large portions of the game because we were just passing through them Mitrovic was able to pop off here and there and and you know they were really really stretched and the defense didn't know what to do it was only really when west brom changed up were they able to sort of um break us down so i would i would i think at the moment this is our probably our best 11 that was out there on on saturday Sawyer's head had gone by the way in the second half he yeah. was he was losing it um that also kind of answers is Ibs's question which is what i was going to come up to next which was um who would be your midfield three so i think we've pretty much um touched on that ibs good um, old ibs Let's move on to Michael B. Why are we only averaging one goal per game bar Millwall? I think he makes a very, very good point. Apart from Millwall, um, we scored... Well, Millwall, we scored four. Blackburn, we scored two. And then in every other game, we've either scored none or one. Mm. It's... For, for the strongest attacking side of the league, uh, a side where people were making bets of us scoring 100 goals this season, it's not much of a return goal-wise. Well, um, according to the stats, Fulham are first in final third passes, first in overall passes, first in chance creation per game, first in overall shots per game, and first in overall completed passes, which I think I may have already said. <laughs> so, And first for shaggers. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> yes, Farrell, first for shaggers. So I think for it not to be able to translate onto the pitch is a disappointment. I can see He's why, but I think I think if you look at it, a lot of the chances that we're creating, the ball falls to the players not as close to the goals where we'd like to. If you look at the style against Jukanovic versus Parker, they are very similar. Um, however, Jukanovic, the chances fell to our wingers probably around about six or seven yards out. They're now falling to the players around about 12 to 14 yards out, which makes it a lot more difficult to um, put the ball home you're also seeing a lot of the players that we have in comparison to that team are shooting from outside the box a lot more you, you look at knockout you look at caviero you we look at knockout in particular um they all love shooting from outside the box and when you shoot from outside the box your um possibility of scoring a goal decreases rapidly as i'm sure it would become aware to everyone I'd just like to see us take a few more shots from inside the area, but also to be feeding Mitrovic a bit a bit more, um, especially in and around the goalkeeper because he's that massive presence. Well, that's James Brody's question. Is is Mitro dropping deep because we aren't throwing balls into the box early? Him dropping deep is the only way he can get into the game. I feel like Knockart and Cav need to improve on crossing slash final ball. I, I think 
the the reason why Mitrovic is dropping deeper is because it works in our system. I think he's been instructed to do that, and it, it is working. It's not like we're not creating chances. Here. But there isn't tons and tons and tons of chances. It's not. We are like top of we're we're like near the top of the league behind Leeds of of, of XG um, and if we want to you know quote stats and whatnot you know there were opportunities I mean there was two opportunities where Brian puts in delicious balls into the box and only was it for last ditch defending that something didn't come of it there was one where the defender it almost came yeah bar. exactly so and it is quite nice to be actually varying up a little bit how our chances are being created in the promotion season most of our opportunities came from. Fredericks or Sessignon bursting into the byline yeah. um, or target crossing in from, from deeper yeah. positions. Yeah. Um, it does seem to be we are creating the very type of chances. I think the one of the guilty parties is Mitrovic himself, not necessarily coming deeper, but he doesn't really shoot when the opportunity arises first time out. He does dither a little bit. And I think that's probably, you know, if we are going to put criticism his way, that's where I would do it most. Also, there were a couple of headed chances at the weekend he really should have put away. There was one later on from a corner that was only about six yards out and he managed to head it over the bar um, when he was under minimal pressure. I don't think necessarily there's anything to worry about too much with Mitrovic. This is still a guy that is massively in form and is still scoring. But that's more the point is the fact he is in good form. And he, I don't, I don't personally believe he's getting the service. I thought one of our best chances on Saturday came from Joe Bryan's cross. Yeah, and I think the West Brom defender name escapes me almost put it into his own net. Jay potentially. And I just wonder if Kevin Knockhart just sometimes just don't throw that ball in quick enough. And you saw what happened. Knockhart did actually put in a cross out of nowhere. And okay, not quite how we would have intended <laughs> it, but ends up in the back of the net. I just wonder if there's just a bit too much perfectionism. Yeah, I always thought that about this team since the start of the season is that they seem determined to pass the ball into the net. Um, you just wish there was a little bit more ruthlessness with them, but... I don't know, I, I kind of like Mitrovic linking up and I think this weekend was probably the solution that we will see to stop him coming so deep is to get Kenny and to get Bobby Reed in and around him a little bit closer because there have been times in, in this season, especially um, against Barnsley, where he was completely isolated for long periods of the game and you need to get people in and around him otherwise he will become just a, a, a an afterthought. Well, Con Booger, that kind of addresses your question as well. Final question from Kixo. Will Hector improve our side? Who will he replace? Well, at the moment, it's difficult to get him into the team. And I was thinking about that during the game. Would he get ahead of Reem or Mawson? I think it's got to be Mawson, hasn't it? I don't know. I, I wouldn't say so. I mean... They're both performing really, really well. The only way he'd get into this team at the moment is either through injury or change of system to three centre-backs. And I, ca- I just can't see that happening at the moment. No, nor can I. I can't see a change to three centre-halves. You are, like, Would he improve the team? For me, no. Absolutely no. Bobby, for me, no. <laughs> um, it's, it's not, it's not going to improve it dramatically. I think Reem's really started to come into his own again. We've seen a, a huge uptick in form from Reem. He looks really comfortable again exceptional passing out the back as I mentioned earlier in the pod against West Brom he, he looked really good and against Millwall as well I'd say 75% of our chances made in the attacking third started with with Ream mm. and Mawson although not as exceptional on the ball as Ream 
does a lot of dirty work that you probably won't see. The likes of shielding players from corners, winning a lot in the air, distributing a lot to Bream and getting it out to the fullbacks very quickly. That's what Mawson does. And I can't see Hector displacing him, to be honest with you. I think we've brought him in as cover because you look past those two. Who's there? Adoy. Yeah, just Adoy, yeah. And I, I do Marshall. like Adoy, but... Oh, the Marshall, yeah, but yeah. he's not been good this season. Yeah. Okay, well, that is it pretty much for the Fulhamish podcast tonight. Thank you very, very much for listening. Do keep an eye out Wednesday morning if you fancy coming to the Fulhamish 200 events. Um, it'll be very embarrassing if no one turns up, so uh, please do buy a ticket. Farrell has promised to buy everyone that comes along uh, a pint. Yeah, everyone that comes along to Fulham S because we're not on the panel. All right, yeah. That'll be in the distillers <laughs> next door. Um, so that's, but disclaimer, that is a complete fabrication, by the way. A oh. location. That's, that's a shame. I thought, uh, I thought you'd be Pines for that. everyone except for Sammy. Fabrication. Okay. Uh, right, um, Farrell, uh, you've got one last job. Can you please name this week's podcast? So I'm going to go with TR7, yeah, a question mark. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what that means. <laughs> um, Rufus is being a... An idiot, I'd say. <laughs> uh, he bets behaving badly, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah, very good. I'd have gone for word bad Betty, but but you don't get the choice. This I don't week. get. I don't get a say. So Farrell, good choice, and TR Seven, if that is your real name. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much as well. So Fulhamish Extra will be out. Uh, Wednesday night, Thursday morning, looking ahead to that Sheffield Wednesday game. No doubt we'll uh, have a Sheffield Wednesday fan on the phone for that. So have a good rest of your week and we will see you for then. Ben John, thank you very much. Thanks, Sam. It's nice to be back. Farrell Monk, thank you very much. Gracias. See you very soon. Buy your tickets for Fulhamish 200. Bye. Toodles.